Welcome back to the Southland Podcast. Today's segment will feature Mrs. Mindy Jones speaking at the ladies' session of the couples' retreat. Mindy is married to Michael Jones, who is the pastor of Oakwood Baptist Church in Anderson, South Carolina. Join us as we listen to her speak from 2 Corinthians 10 on how ladies ought to think biblically. Good morning. It's so um, nice to be here with you all. This is my first time at Southland. My, Michael's been here before, and of course he loves it, and, and he told me I would too, and he was right. I just, I'm so thankful to be here with you, so honored. It's been a joy to meet, um, trying to meet all of you, but some of you. And um, I feel a little bit sorry for you, though, because I feel like since Michael's a great speaker, everyone... Um, expects that I may be a great speaker too, but I'm just very ordinary and not very amazing, so um, you're stuck with me. (laughs) But I'm really excited about what I've been studying and learning and want to share with you this morning. Um, So before we get started, please let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning and this time we have together here, and I pray that you would just be with us in this session now and this whole weekend. I pray that you would just fill us with your spirit and help us to... um, just listen to what you're speaking to our hearts about, and not just listen and hear it, but to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, um, I have a handout that will make zero sense until um, we get through it. It kind of looks a little strange. Um, Jessica, would you mind helping me pass it out? Thank you. Um, but I think without something visual, um, we won't get very far in this, in this session. Um, but this is kind of an unusual topic. It's something that's very biblical that I don't know that I've heard a lot of people um, emphasize or ex- give a practical um, method to doing it. So we're just going to see what the Bible says and see how to apply it this morning. Um, I think in my marriage and in my life, maybe you're the same way, there's a big disparity between... Um, who, you know, I read my Bible and I understand what it's saying and I agree with it and I identify with that. But a lot of times I think, I think I, I think I'm, I think I'm living this and maybe I'm really not. I'm not being honest with myself or I want to live what the Bible teaches, but, but I, I'm not quite there. You know, I, I read Proverbs and I think, oh, I want to be this, this woman whose tongue is governed by the law of kindness. And I want to be the woman who does her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. But then when it happens, when life happens, I'm the woman who has a contentious spirit and I'm plucking my house down with my hands instead of building it up. And there's, there's a problem there in my life between what I, what I, what I um, endeavoring to do and what I'm really doing. And I think this is a struggle for all of us as Christians. Um, and I think it all boils down to our minds. You know, anything in my life that I struggle with, it first starts with my thoughts. And I, th- I think I use the word struggle too much. Really, that means I'm not obeying God. Um, but it always starts with my thoughts, and then it turns into my actions and emotions and all these other things that, that happen in my life. So if in my marriage, my behavior is not good, if my relationship is not good, if my attitude's not good, if I have um, anger and bitterness and frustration and envy and malice and... Um, I don't have peace and I have anxiety, and if I have self-pity, maybe I'm struggling with feminism, whatever it might be in my marriage that's causing me trouble, it all first started with my thoughts. And the Bible kind of tells us about that in, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you have your Bible with you. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This passage talks exactly about this struggle and what it really is. We're going to read, um, starting in verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In verse 5, casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here it's saying that the struggle really isn't a fleshly struggle, it's a spiritual struggle. And it has to do with our thoughts. And it makes it sound like to me, in verse 5, that you can capture your thoughts and look at them objectively, and you can cause your thoughts to be obedient to Christ. That's what the verse is saying, I think. And so um, I think we we know that and we understand that, but how do we do it? And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, how we can actually make that happen. And um, this is one of those cases where I feel like the Bible has finally caught up to science. Or, I mean, sorry, said it backwards. Science has finally caught up to the Bible. (laughs) Wow, I sounded really wrong there. Um, <laughs> in, in a way that, we, that, that people didn't even understand it to be for a long time. And this is, I think this is really, and we'll talk about science just a little bit because it's interesting to me maybe. Um, it, it's all about neuroplasticity, the idea that we can change our brains. And, um, and this is, an, it's a very new concept in science. I mean, scientists used to think if you had a brain injury, you have a brain injury. If you have some developmental issue, you have a developmental issue. And that's what you have. But recently they've realized that through sensory motor um, activity or even through our thoughts, we can actually physically, literally change our brains. And the Bible says this all the time. If we renew our minds, our life will be transformed, the Bible says. If we think biblically, it has medicinal properties for, for our body. If I have a, a merry heart, it does me good like a medicine. Um, the Bible teaches that um, as a man thinketh, so is he. Our thoughts actually change who we are. Um, Romans 5, 6, and 7, all about um, lining up our behavior with who we are in Christ. And if you read those chapters, it has so much to do with how we think. You know, how we should, how we should consider ourselves, how we should reckon ourselves. The Bible talks about a lot of different verses in those passage, passages that teach us how we should think as Christians. Um, so, here's a few thoughts we can, we can just kind of nail down in our mind. And I gave you a fill-in-the-blank, which I always feel like kind of insults your intelligence, but, so I don't know why I did it anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry for insulting you. But, um, but the first thing that we should, we should consider and get it in our mind is this thing. My mind controls my brain. My mind controls my brain. We often think of our brain and our mind being the same thing, but they're not the same thing. Um, God created us spirit, soul, and body. And in that order, our our spirit, the part of us that was made alive in Christ, that communes with God, that lives forever, um, that should have control over our soul, the the part of us that that, um, where our emotions and our thoughts and and, and those things are. Our mind, maybe you can call it, which controls our body, which is our brain. Our brain is part of our body, and our mind controls that. And when we think, our thoughts, they're real physical little um, protein structures. Every time I think a thought, I build a little protein structure in my brain that looks like a tree. And if, So every time I think, I'm actually literally changing my brain. I, every thought I have changes the, the, um, the circuits that are happening in my brain. It changes chemical reactions. So every time I think, I'm actually changing my body. I'm, I'm, my mind is actually controlling my brain. And, and that's not how the world looks at things, but that's how the Bible looks at things, that we're in control of our bodies. Um, so if I think biblically, I'm, I'm actually, my brain benefits from that. It's actually becoming more healthy, more strong. My thoughts are better. If I think unbiblically, I'm actually physically damaging my brain. That's why if, I am a, if I'm a self-centered and I'm a narcissist, if, if I have a brain scan, that, that's visible. I've, I've, because it causes cognitive dis- dissonance, I actually have damaged my brain from my narcissistic thoughts. If I'm complaining, I'm causing damage to the hippocampus of my brain because um, I'm, I'm 
I'm using my mind in a way that's not congruent with God, how God expected me to do it, and I'm harming my body. So it's very interesting, I think, if you if you read about all these things. Our biblical our biblical thinking or non-biblical thinking, if you study epigenetics, which I think is fascinating, um, it even changes the way our genes are switched on and off. Um, we all have a set, a, a very specific set of genes, but how they express themselves have so much to do with our thinking, choosing, acting, eating, everything we do. Um, for example, if you, everyone knows a set of identical twins. And if you can think about these twins, you can probably tell them apart. Or they they have maybe have a different shape of face, they have a different voice. There's something different about these twins, but they have the exact same genes. So how are they different? It's because of epigenetic, epigenetics, the way their genes switch on and off. And scientists are now discovering that, you're, that because of epigenetics, my decisions, my behavior, my actions can have an impact on even my children and grandchildren to three and four generations. Isn't that kind of an interesting thought? And it sounds a little familiar um, because of, and now it doesn't, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be so. If my grandma was evil and angry, it doesn't mean I have to be evil and angry. Um, we can always, because of our thinking and choosing and doing, um, actually change our brains. Um, and so our biblical thinking makes us happier, more intelligent, makes us... Um, you know, just like our children, if we discipline them and they are thinking more biblically because of that, they're going to be happier and smarter too. Um, but our unbiblical, unbiblical thinking makes us unhealthy, and I think you know this. If you, you've all read studies that say that, it, that um, you know, 75% of our disease comes from our thinking or 95% of disease comes from stress. There's all kinds of studies that show those sort of things. I read one that I thought was so interesting. Um, it was a long-term study, and it was on the effects of stress, and it was over several decades. And they, they, this study concluded that um, stress causes morbidity. For 40%, stress increases your mor morbidity 40%, which is huge. So because of your stress, you're 40% more likely to die. But this was the interesting part, only if you think so. So <laughs> I thought that was so interesting. So if I think that stress is killing me, it's killing me. <laughs> but if I think that stress is a, is a challenge that I can trust God with and, a, and an opportunity to live like Christ, then it's actually good for me. And so it's so interesting that our thinking has so much influence on our life. Um, you, I saw a study about how AIDS patients, if they, if they believe there's a God in their life that... Um, that cares about them, they're so, many, so much more likely to live. I mean, there's so many studies like that that show how our thinking affects our health um, because our mind was created to operate biblically. So we have to remember this, that in our marriage and in our lives, um, my husband doesn't determine what I think. I can't ever say, you know, I'm, my husband makes me mad. He doesn't make me mad. If I'm mad, it's because I want to be mad. <laughs> I've chosen to do that. Um, the devil doesn't control our mind. Um, the, our circumstances, our addictions, unhealthy mental habits, um, our, our, our genetics, opinions of others, none of these things control our brains. My mind controls my brain. And so if I can remember that, I can start to, I can start to actually think about my thoughts and, and line them up with what the Bible says. So the second thing we need to remember is everything I think I, and I say and I do is based on what is stored in my non-conscious mind. And this it seems a little weird, but it's kind of important for us to understand. Um, we have our, in our conscious mind, what's going on in, in, in is our, um, our awake and aware mind. Well, while I'm awake, my conscious mind is thinking, and it's, it's, what, it's what we're using to, to communicate here this morning. But my non-conscious mind is where 99% of all the, my mind's energy and action happens. And it's going nonstop, all when I'm awake, when I'm asleep, when I'm... Um, 
if I'm under surgery, it's still going, you know, it's all the time. And that, that's where all of my thoughts are stored. So um, if I hide God's word in my heart, it's stored there, which is why it's so important to do that. Um, but anything, my memories from the past, all of my, all of my, the way I interpret the whole world is, is in my, my, the metacognitive level of our brain. It's always there. You know, sometimes something will spark a memory. Even a scent can trigger something from your childhood. Well, all those things are in your non-conscious mind, but they can be pulled up into your conscious mind. And so no matter what happens in my life, my, the way I interpret the world, the way I react to things, it's, it's all, that non-conscious level is the springboard for all those things. So how I re- react to something that happens today has to do with what I've tucked into my non-conscious mind. Um, for example, my husband told you that I grew up in Alaska. Well, I, I, when I was very young, I lived in this little bush village in southeast Alaska. It's a, it's a rainforest there. The ground was all this mossy muskeg. It's very beautiful, but very soggy. And so um, the houses were built on pilings and little boardwalks all between. And there was no electricity, no plumbing. I think my dad piped water from the creek after a while that ran into our house. But, um, but it was just a different sort of life. But we really didn't have indoor plumbing. But everybody had... This is really special. We had an outhouse, but it didn't work because it was soggy. The ground was really soggy. So I just played with my dolls in the outhouse. It was a great playhouse, I guess. But <laughs> I didn't really know all about that. But, but we, everybody had a bucket. And it's a horrible thought. At the school had a bucket. And your house had a bucket. Ours was thankfully on the porch. But um, you put it in the wheelbarrow, and you drove it down the boardwalk to the bay and dumped it every so often. And that's was the plumbing, you know, the bucket. And so it was really special. And a lot of people poured pine salt in the bucket. And I don't know why they thought that helped, because it was just... It just didn't help. It was just gross. It didn't make anything any better. So, um, so if you tell me that you cleaned your kitchen with pine salt and you and you bring it to your house and say, "Oh, doesn't it smell good?" You know, in my mind, because of what's tucked into my non-conscious mind, I'm not thinking clean and sanitary. I don't really like your kitchen smelling that way. But you may love it. To you, that might sound, "Oh, the woods and it's so beautiful." But I'm just thinking of the bucket if I if I smell pine salt. So, um, so everything in our life, no matter you know the way we think of the things, the way we act, it, it all has to do with what's tucked into our non-conscious just mine. There was a, my my son was doing some work on the roof the other day at my house, and a six-year-old had come over, and he said, he said, oh look at that, and he pointed to my son. And I said, oh yeah, he's fixing something, and and he was, he said, hmm. He looks like a he looks like a dummy who didn't finish high school and got a bad job. And I thought that was kind of interesting that in this little sixth grader, because of what was in his non-conscious mind, that just came right out of his mouth. He'd been taught that if you do manual labor, you're a loser, which um, I don't agree with. But but this is what was already in his little already in his little heart came out of his mouth. And that's how we all are. So, so we need to be really careful to, about what we put in our mind, which we can control what we add to our non-conscious mind. But we can also change what's already there, which is amazing. And that's what the Bible talks about when it talks about renewing our mind. So, um, so this is why, because all of our thinking and choosing and doing is based on what's in our non-conscious mind, this is why trauma from our past can affect our present. It doesn't have to, but it can. Um, we, we, we're ne- we never have a free pass for our behavior, but, but so much of what's in our mind, and we don't even realize it, is affecting everything we do today. It might be things from before, might be things, you know, just, and we'll see how that happens sometimes. Um, but that, that metacognitive level is so important. And the third t- thought to think about is that thoughts that are brought into the conscious level never go back the same. Thoughts that are brought into the conscious level never go back the same. So this is where the Pollyanna principle comes in. That we rem- When we remember the good old days, they're so much more good than they were. Or maybe when we rem- remember some traumatic event, it's so much worse than it was. Well, how does that happen? 
The reason is because when we bring something from our non-conscious mind into our conscious mind, we adjust it. We always do. We, we can adjust it in a biblical way or a non-biblical way. We can add more emotion to it. We can take emotion away. We, can, we, we always change those thoughts as they come into our mind. So if I remember grandma's cookies um, and, I, and I think about grandma's cookies and they come into my conscious mind, I can just remember them so much better than they were. And next time I think about them, they can get even better. Maybe if I try them, I think, oh man, these aren't how they used to be. But um, it's because I've changed that thought. Uh, I knew a lady um, in a church that my husband pastored a while ago who slipped on black ice when she was driving to work and rolled her car. And, and she was not hurt. Her car was damaged. She was not hurt. But because of this, she, she was, I think, being medicated for post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and this kept, just kept getting worse and worse into her, in her life until she tried, to, she tried to commit suicide. And you might think, well, black ice, is, does that warrant committing suicide? Well, in her mind it did because every time she brought this instance up, she dealt with it the wrong way. She, she took the incident into her um into her conscious mind and she she would brood over it in a negative way and it would make, make it more scary and more I don't know what it was all about self pity or something she kept wrapping all these things around it and it got worse and worse and worse and worse until her life wasn't worth living and I think we can do that in, in our marriages sometimes we can take some little incident and and we can think about it today and then tomorrow we can think you know my husband did that because he doesn't really care and, and I'm so angry and the next day you can think about it and think and you know what he, he probably did that on purpose and I remember last time he did that and you know we can just bring it back into our mind and make it worse and worse and worse until it's a big huge problem that more than it was or we can do the opposite I can bring up bitterness from my past and I can I can dwell on what the Bible says about forgiveness and and I can change those things and we can do it either way and the fourth thought the last one that we need to consider is that I'm never no it's not the last one second to last I'm never a victim I'm never a victim I cannot control my circumstances but I can always control my reactions and I think sometimes we feel like especially when it comes to our emotional reactions that that you know well that just happens to me. I just feel that way you know this happened in my life and I, I'm busy I'm so I'm stressed they mistreated me so I'm angry and we we feel like this, this is what happens to us. We have to deal with it, but, but we, you know, whatever. It just happens. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what we have to, not the way we have to live. Um, so all the unhealthy emotions, all the unhealthy stress in my life are caused by my wrong reactions to my thoughts. Probably wrong thoughts and wrong reactions to wrong thoughts. Um, I choose my thoughts. I react according to my thoughts, not according to my circumstances. And if we can remember this, we can start taking better control of our thoughts and our emotions and our reactions. And my thoughts produce my state of mind. My state of mind, my attitude, it's, it's my thought and the emotional component that goes along with the thought. Every thought has its own emotional component. And our, we'll learn a little, bit, a little bit later how your emotions can help you cue, help cue you into your thoughts, whether they're right or wrong. And this is definitely not what the world teaches. The world teaches that, you know, if, I, if I'm depressed and I scream at my children, I can say, oh, that's not me talking. That's the depression talking. You know, I can't help it. Or if I have an eating disorder, well, that's the voice of the eating disorder. That's not, you know, it's talking to me. What can I do? Um, and, and, the, and with that mentality, then we just, of course, make our problem worse. But we are directly responsible for what we think about, what we dwell on. Of course, we know the Bible says that over and over and over. But I think what we don't know is when I have this unbiblical thought that's troubling me, what do I do about it? Do I just wait until it gets better? Do I ignore it? Do I stuff it? How do I deal with it? Um, and, but the Bible teaches us in this passage that we read that we can change it into a biblical thought. Anytime I have an, a wrong thought, I can change it into a right thought. So, And that's all about biblical meditation. That's the fifth point. Biblical meditation is the key to changing our thoughts and changing our lives. When we change the way we think, we change the way we live. Whether it's for good or bad, we always do. 
And biblical meditation or any meditation affects the brain in, in ways that science, in areas of our brain, that scientists long thought could never be altered. Now, if you do any meditation, if I do some breathing exercise, that's good for my health. It's good for my emotions. If I, even if I do an, an evil sort of like Eastern religion type of meditation, that has benefits, not any spiritual benefits, and of course we should stay away from that. You know, transcendental meditation, yoga, things like that. But, um, but it, when, we have, when we do biblical, when we practice biblical meditation, we will will benefit our body, soul, and spirit, and we'll, we'll, of course, live in a way that pleases God, which is the whole point. Um, so when we meditate, meditation is just, it's, it's deep, focused, intellectual thought um, that's, that um, is not distracted, focused thought, I guess you could say. And it's really, the, it's really the key, I think, in our Christian life to being a hearer and not just, a, I'm sorry, to being a doer and not just a hearer of God's Word. And I think so often we look at God's Word and it's a mirror and it reflects what we really are like and we're like, oh, I need to fix that. And then, of course, we forget and it's not fixed. Um, so he, I want to help you with a, just a, a systematic plan of biblical meditation. And you may have a better plan as we go through this um, and you may come up with your own plan and that's fine. But this is a plan from studying some Christian neuroscientists and some that were not that, that will help you to actually change your thoughts in a way that will last. Um, so we can look at our thoughts from the perspective of, of the Bible. We can actually objectively consider what our thoughts are, observe our own thinking, consult with God, and then we can change the unbiblical thoughts. Um, and, or we can grow the biblical thought. And this is what biblical meditation is. And it really, as soon as we start changing our thinking, we change, we change the structure and the, the neurochemical um, patterns in our brain, and we just make such a big difference. But it takes about 21 days, neuroscientists say, for a new thought to grow and become established. It really takes three cycles of 21 but um but to, but when you start when you start thinking a thought you you start you have this little tiny little tree it really does look like a tree and you you the more you think this thought the more you add a branch and strengthen a root but the but when you stop thinking of a thought the branch falls off and the root goes away and it turns into heat energy and you forget is what happens and so we can't quit at day four or five you have to do for 21 days you have to work on only one thought and um you it's amazing the difference that you'll see in your life um so, so it takes about 5 to 15 minutes every day to take one thought and change it from an unbiblical thought to a biblical thought. And you can do, you know, you, you can just continually cycle. You'll never run out of thoughts that you need to change. Um, but you can cycle all the way through these until you have a lot of new thinking. Um, for me, I, I, well, for anyone, it helps to tie a new habit to an old habit. So for me, I, I tied my biblical meditation to my regular time of prayer and Bible reading in the morning. Um, and I just decided to skip breakfast because who has extra time? So that's what I did. Um, and it's really um, been helpful to me in my life. And I think it's, it, it'll help all of us. If you, if you struggle in your devotional time to have a deep, meaningful time with the Lord, this will help because you'll, you'll learn to, to really focus on God and focus on His Word and ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life. If you already have a, a strong um, relationship with God and a good, good time with Him daily, this will, I think, enhance that. Um, so I have five steps that I've written down here. And I writ, wrote, wrote the steps repeatedly, um, but I do it all in one. I take a notebook and I make this diagram once and I just, I just alter it as I go along. I don't rewrite um, it, but I rewrote it for you so you could see what I was doing in the progression actually. Um, so the first thing we have to do is we have to gather an unbiblical thought. And I just picked just one. Now the thought I picked, I googled. What, why are women angry at their husbands? And I think, because in my marriage I'm the one who does everything wrong, I think. Um, so I had to google this one. But, but um, 
I think women are the angry ones in our marriages. From what I noticed, from what I was reading, women are the ones who in, in, uh, initiate all the divorces, 85%, I think. And so we need to stop being so angry. Um, but <laughs> So these are some things that make women angry. And really, it's probably too many thoughts at once. I put the main thought as my husband is an idiot, and all these things are <laughs> fueling that. But, but really, you may just want to focus, like the, one of them is about bitterness. Maybe you just want to focus on one thing. But um, but this, is, this will give us an idea of some things to work on. So um, you gather the unbiblical thought. It, when you sit down to think about what thought you want to work on, I mean, of course, ask the Holy Spirit what you should work on, and and your emotions will tell you what you should, what you need to fix. You know, whatever anger you feel, or bitterness, or frustration, or whatever it is, some negative emotion in your life will cue you into a thought that you need to change. Um, you know, recently, I think I was working on this this. Um, a lesson. I was sitting at the kitchen table. I was working and I was st- focusing. And my son, he was 15. He came into the kitchen and he started. He was singing at the top of his voice. He was cleaning up a mess he made. And I was feeling frustrated because I was trying to pay attention. And and because of this lesson, I think I immediately thought I'm frustrated. So I have a sinful thought. What is my sinful thought? And so so it's. I, I just had. To, I sat down and made this little diagram really quick. And I realized that there's a lot of sinful thoughts. You know, I'm ungrateful that I have a 15 year old who cleans and sings songs about God. Isn't that pretty ridiculous? Um, and I'm selfish and I'm proud and I, I immediately see all the sins behind that wrong emotion and I was able to deal with them and fix my attitude right away. Um, and so this will help you to be really a lot more aware of your thoughts as you start this process. Um, but but I think if we can, we'll become more aware of our thinking and feeling and we'll be able to, to identify our thoughts but also to change them. So once you pick one thought, here the thought is my husband is an idiot. And I wrote down, I have to handle everything. I don't approve of the way he does things. I'm angry about things he did in the past. So you can see all this, all these things. I have uh, uh, serious issues, obviously, and you clean up my marriage. But then one thing I wrote down, I wrote down, I said vicious things and acted with passive aggression. Is that a thought? No, it's an action. But maybe you don't really know what the thought is. So I wrote down the action, and now I'm going to stop and think about what the thought is. Well, I wrote that I want to control. It might be that I want to get even. It might be, who knows, but whatever it was, it, the Holy Spirit will, will always let you know <laughs> if you're asking him. But, but if you're really honest with yourself, and this is a hard process, because you have to tell yourself the truth about yourself. And sometimes it's really embarrassingly ugly when you start writing down all your thoughts, because you're thinking, wow, I really think, think that. That's awful. So um, the second step is to identify the sin behind the unbiblical thought. So now right right where I've written the wrong thought, I'm going to write the sin. I have to handle everything. Well, that's selfishness. I'm not happy to serve. Um, I don't approve of the way he does things. That's pride. I think I'm better. I want to control. That's a lack of submission. Um, I'm angry about things he did in the past. Well, that's bitterness and unforgiveness. And so I, I'm honest with the sins that are driving these thoughts. And the next step... Um, is to find a passage of scripture that that corrects the sin that I'm struggling with. So um, for each one of these, I, and you could find a hundred scriptures, but whatever the Holy Spirit, I feel like it helps so much with this process. He'll lead you to the right thing and help you change your thinking. But you can write down a scripture that will correct your thinking for each single, every single one of these. And writing writing is such a big part of this for to for for you to make a new thought, change your thoughts. If you can write it down, um, so I write out the scripture, and it'll take a few minutes, but it's. So, so worth your time. Um, and then the next thing that I'm going to do is rephrase to a new biblical thought. Um, so now I'm going to cross out the wrong thought. And of course, this is your 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 diagram is going to end up looking like this last page. I don't I don't rewrite it. I just keep writing on it. And sometimes you can't even hardly read a thing. Um, so you cross out the wrong thought and write the new thought. And so here, instead of I have to handle everything, I'm glad to serve God by serving my husband. So what if I do it all? Um, 
I don't approve the way my husband does things. I'm going to write, I respect my husband. Um, I want to control. I can trust God by letting my husband lead. I am angry about the past. I forgive past mistakes. Now, whatever it has to be. And sometimes it's a little more complicated than this. You know, sometimes it takes a little while to get down to the thought and really truly be honest about it. And, and you've written all these right thoughts now, but you can't just write them. You have to think them. You have to think these new thoughts, and you have to be willing to think the new thought. And, and, and you can. You can do it. It's, it's just a matter, all of our thoughts, it's a matter of choice. I think sometimes we feel like, well, I can't think a thought of forgiveness with all this bitterness. Well, yeah, you chose bitterness. You can chose for, choose forgiveness. It's just a matter of your choice. It's that simple. And so, um, so you're going to think these new thoughts. And the amazing thing is as you think the new thought, that wrong emotion, the anxiety, the anger, the frustration, will be replaced with peace and joy and love. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll feel it happen as you do this process. It's really amazing, but it's simple. It's biblical. It makes sense. Um, and and as we, so as you go along, you, the la, this fourth is really important to actually think the new thought. And the last one is also important. This is the reason that, that the, the self-help, um, self-esteem business doesn't really work so well. Really... Um, that industry has has been proven uh, through studies to show to cause people more um, depression and anxiety and whatever they're trying to cure. Because if I if I stand in the mirror and tell myself how amazing and lovely and wonderful I am, well, for one thing, I know the truth. But for another thing, I'm not doing anything about it, and it doesn't change anything. Um, so, so we have to act on the biblical thought. We have to do something. And that doing is what really solidifies that thought in our mind. So um, I have to write down an action plan and I have to do it. So um, here's some things I could do based on everything I've written down here um, that I need to work on. And it's a lot of things. The first thing I always do is confess all this sin that I just wrote down. Because it's right there in front of my face. So, um, so you can confess your sin, agree with God about it, and, and that's the most important step. Then if you don't have these scriptures memorized, you could learn these scriptures. That would be a good way to remind yourself through the day what you're trying to learn and what you're trying to change. Um, I, I need to apologize. You know, I need to, I need to tell my husband I'm sorry for a lot of these things. And I think maybe I need to write down all the things I appreciate about him and, and give that to him. So that's my new thought. I appreciate my husband. Well, maybe I need to do something to express that appreciation and make it part of my life. And then, and then tomorrow I'm going to come and do the same thing. I'm going to write down, I'm going to think about what thoughts I think about my husband, and maybe he did something else, and I still think he's an idiot, so I'm going to write, my husband's an idiot, and I'm going to write, and it might be something different even, something new, and I'm going to write all these things down, and I'm going to change all these thoughts, but, but and it may take, I mean, maybe I'm really, if it have thought these thoughts a long time, it may take me more than 21 days for these thoughts to change, but in, in seven days, if I don't think he's an idiot anymore, then I need to write down the thoughts still, I still need to work on it 21 days, so I might write down, I appreciate my husband, and write down the new true thought, if that's really what I'm thinking. Um, but as you sit down and think about your thoughts, you'll know where you're at in this process. But but you can just continue to work on it. And after, after 21 days, usually, that's the minimum. A little bit longer sometimes, you'll see things change in your life. You'll see that your life, because you're renewing your mind, becomes transformed. Which I think is so, such an amazing process, but we shouldn't be amazed That's what the Bible says will happen. Um, so, really, of course, this will only help you if you do it, but the ladies that I know who have tried this have seen such a difference in their life. And you may come up with your own process of doing this. It, these are the components that I found that seem to really help the thought to stay. But um, I was talking to a lady in our church who has a grown son who I've met. He's a great guy. But when he was young, he had really debilitating, crippling OCD. He was just just so overcome with this, this fear and, and these thoughts that he, he was just really in a bad place. So she'd taken him to every psychologist and doctor, and nobody had any... 
Nobody had any help for him. But she took him to, to a therapist who didn't even have a degree, who was just a helpful guy, I guess. And this man had her son sit down and write out a certain, some certain thing that was giving him trouble, some thought that was bothering him, some fear or something. And he said, write it a hundred times. Which to me, that seems like you'd be reinforcing it. But he, she, so her son sat down, maybe fifth grade, and he was writing this thought and writing this thought. And then after a while, she said, he laughed and he said, why am I writing this? I don't even think this anymore. And I think, you know, it was a little bit different method, but it's the same idea that we actually um, take a look at our thoughts and think about what they are. And this, this it, she said like three visits with this man doing this process, he didn't have OCD anymore. So um, I think... It doesn't have to be necessarily this plan I showed you, but I wanted to give you something to take home to, to practice on so you can see how, and maybe as you go, you'll, you'll tweak it your own way. Um, but you'll be able to, to feel better, to think more clearly, and to live more biblically, which is the most important thing. So um, I guess we should just probably ask ourselves first, um, in my marriage, are there any wrong thoughts or um, wrong emotions, or wrong reactions, wrong actions um, on my part in my marriage. I think if, we, if we're honest with ourselves and ask ourselves that question, we can think of something. And so maybe today you can think of the one, in fact, I think we have some time after this, some quiet time, and we can maybe just think of the one thought that's giving us the most trouble in our marriage and, and start working on that thought and bringing it in, into captivity and lining it up with, uh, um, with the Bible so, so we can be in obedience to Christ. Here's another question. Do I want my marriage to change? That's another good question. And the third one is, am I willing to do something about it? And I think a lot of times we, we want to change, and we don't really know how to go about it. But this is such a practical way to change anything that you're struggling with. Recently, I, I started working on a thought that maybe seemed like kind of a silly thing. But it's amazing to see the difference it makes in, in a practical way. Um, I play, I, in our church orchestra, I play the flute and the piccolo. And... Um, it hasn't always been my favorite thing, but I've been working on my thought about this because because I don't enjoy playing. I don't. I'm dense when it comes to music. I just. Some of you are amazing. My kids are like that. They can hear an orchestra play and make it come out of the piano or the cello or whatever. But not me. I just. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I can't count it. On the way driving here from the airport, I was. I had our, our app that our music director uses, and I was trying to count with a metronome and, and beat out some little thing I've been struggling with. I'm just not good at it. And so when I have a, a solo, which seems to be a lot. Um, I know, I hate those. Um, no, 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 I'm changing my thoughts. <laughs> I don't hate those. <laughs> but but I, I'm all nervous, and I can't, you know, and when you're nervous, you can't think straight anyway, so then I mess it all up, and it wasn't even hard to begin with, and I, you know, the kids are, are listening to you practice, and they're like, Mom, can't you get that yet? But but no, I can't, I just can't. And so um, so I've been trying to, I, I decided to change my thinking, because I don't want to be up there all nervous about something I shouldn't be nervous about, and I don't want to resent um, serving God. God, which I'm really not serving God if I don't have the right attitude anyway. And so, so when I started to write down my thoughts about this, I realized how much just in just in the being afraid to play a solo, how many simple thoughts are, are all bound up in that. You know, I, I, I instead of being humble and and glad and serving God with gladness, here I'm proud and I'm worried about what people think. And I mean, all these unbiblical thoughts. But it, but after I worked on this thought for 21 days, now. I still don't play amazingly, 
Um, but I can I can play without fear. I'm not nervous about it anymore because I've changed my thinking. And and I think so often we don't realize how how much our thinking plays into the way we feel, the way we live. We just think, you know, I'm nervous when I play. Well, no, I choose to be nervous because I'm thinking wrong and it's not biblical. And so, so I think as you go through this process, you'll start to see that so many things you took for granted, you realize you don't have to take for granted and you can control your brain because God's given you a mind that can do that. So that's that's an exciting thing to me, just to see some changes happen. And I've encouraged my own kids, and, and, and it's just exciting to hear some some of the teenagers in our church are telling me, you know, now I don't have this anxiety that I was struggling with, and now I, I've forgiven, and just different things that, that you can see God doing in, in, in the lives of people who are, are um, meditating on the Bible the way we ought to. And I wrote here some books. Did I? Did I? Are they on your list? Yes. I don't think I put this one on here. Some of you are expecting your first baby. Um, and now all of these books, um, I don't. I don't endorse everything in them. I'm sure. But the Baby Wise book by Gary Ezzo, I love, and I always give to every new mom in our church because it's just it's such a good plan to start out um, disciplining your little one from the very beginning. The, it's called Baby Wise, and the author is Gary Ezzo. Such a good book. Um, the next one is called Control Girl, um, and this talks about different women in the Bible who had issues with control from the very beginning, because you know that was Eve's whole problem in the beginning, um, and and how we as women can can be more biblical. We because of I think it's because of the curse we all want to control instead of follow like we should, and so we struggle with that sometimes. Um, Fierce Women is written by a, a woman who is a pastor's wife who was destroying her husband's life and her, his health because of her. Her unwillingness to submit, I think. And so she's really honest with her story in that book. It's a good one. Um, Even Exile, it's, a, it's an excellent book on feminism and femininity. And um, it goes back to the beginning. The first feminist ever, the devil himself, and just talks about how, how we, can, um, we can really glorify God and, and we can... Um, we can display a lot of his attributes to the world in the role he's given us as a helper. Um, and so it's just, I thought that was a very well-written and helpful one. Mother and Son. It's written by um, the same author who wrote Love and Respect. That book was so, I thought, so good for me. It's so helpful because it talks about when you're dealing with your sons, how you need to treat them with respect. And I and we deal with our sons sometimes the way women deal with each other, and that doesn't, it's not always good and healthy. It's helped me teaching young men, and just it's just really, it's really been helpful. Now, it's a little cheesy. You know, I'm not going to buy a sword and mount it on the wall and tell my son he's an honorable warrior or something like that. But I do let him hang parts of animals he killed on the wall, so maybe that does that count for something. I don't know. But but it does. If you use the word respect, it makes such a difference. My son, my son's text like in hieroglyphics. But if I ever tell him, "Hey, Dad said such and such about you, and I really respect you for that," um, and I use the word respect, suddenly I get, "Oh, thanks, Mom. That means so much." Like whole sentences. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that book so it was just really helpful for me, I thought. But we're um, through a little bit early, so I think we have a few extra minutes before we meet up with the guys. I was afraid we wouldn't get it done in time, so maybe I talked a little too fast. But does anybody have any qu- questions before we go? Can you repeat the questions? Yes. Oh, at the very end. I said, are, are, do we have any wrong thoughts, emotions, reactions, words, or actions we need to change? Um, and I guess the next one was, do I want my marriage to change? And the last one is, am I willing to do something about it? All right, well, let's, let's go ahead and, and be dismissed. You, are, do you need to get back up here? Okay, all right, let's pray.
Lord, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the guideline that you've given us for living our lives. I pray that you would help us to be honest with ourselves about our thoughts and our sin, and I pray that you would um, help us to be willing to change our thoughts and to, to live a life that's biblical and to think thoughts that are right. And I just thank you for this, the time we have left today, and I pray that you would be with us and, and bless us and help us to learn and grow. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the truths learned will benefit you in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Join us again tomorrow for our next sermon.